God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. Hi. My name is Zach, and I'm a sinner. When I was in college, our university student center hosted a powerful and compelling art installation by an organization called Post Secrets, which started in 2005 as a digitally curated community where people from all walks of life were invited to mail artful postcards depicting their deepest, darkest truths, regrets, and vulnerabilities. These postcards were then scanned and posted anonymously to the Post Secret website with submissions ranging from the witty and hysterical to the tragic and the crude. In my school's exhibit, these hand-decorated postcards lined the main corridor as students and onlookers were drawn to their raw and sometimes shocking revelations containing messages such as, I sit in public and pretend to read, but I'm actually eavesdropping on your conversation. Or, the homeless men I work with are the only ones who call me beautiful. Or this one, I wish I had cancer instead of a mental illness, so I could either recover or die, and nobody would think it was my fault. It is speculated that this project helped save many lives after teaming up with the 1-800-SUICIDE hotline in 2008. And in speaking of the intention behind the project, Frank Warren, the creator of Post Secret, has suggested that these postcards are inspirational to those who read them, having healing powers for those who write them, giving hope to people who identify with a stranger's secrets, and creating an anonymous community of acceptance. There is something in each of us that desires and needs confession. Fears, anxieties, sins, secrets. There is something in us that wants to confess. This is perhaps a reason why as the institutional church continues a numerical decline across denominations throughout the United States, church basements continue overflowing with recovery groups who come seeking healing. The truth is, such spaces of honesty, truth-telling, and vulnerability often do a far better job of doing the work of the church than the church itself does. And what is the work of the church? Paul puts it succinctly. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation, personal and corporate, is the church's mission. Of course, the first step towards reconciliation, and what makes reconciliation feel so paradoxically painful, is acknowledging brokenness. That is the first step. Acknowledging brokenness. Diagnosing the illness without which there would be no need for healing. 
Here, the addiction and recovery analogy stands. Those who work in the field will tell you that the resounding chorus heard time and again from family members of those in recovery is this. I don't understand. If my son or my daughter or my spouse or my sibling is the one with the problem, then why am I sick too? Why am I sick too? The prophet Joel understood salvation as a communal concept. We are all bound together by virtue of our shared humanity, our shared mortality, our common dustiness. Likewise, the fast to which which Joel calls us constitutes a congregational event, a universal assembly with the old and young gathered together to lament and repent, called upon to rend their hearts and not their clothes. The question for us and for any community of faith is this. Will we gloss over, dress up, polish up, and band-aid over the wounds in our lives and in the world? Or are we willing to get real, to get deep, get under it, in order for true healing to occur? At their best, our tangible Christian practices gesture towards a reality greater than the the end they and themselves produce. Our charitable giving not only enables good work in the world, but it releases us from the power of money to exert control over our lives. Our fasting not only comes with the side benefit of spring break weight loss, no, it invites us into a posture of self-denial, that undermines the consumeristic and individualistic society in which we are all conditioned. Our prayer and our reading of Scripture, when attended to faithfully, not only provides encouragement in our daily personal struggles, but keeps us mindful of our utter dependence on God and neighbor in our common life together. Ultimately, the season of Lent provides the space to reorient our hearts towards the kingdom of God, that we might grow deeper into a life lived not for self alone, but for service to others and to the one who sculpted us from the dust of the earth and yet breathes life into our lungs. We live in a wounded world in desperate need of reconciliation. Climate change, systemic racism, Income inequality, food insecurity, surely we could name a hundred more items to our proverbial laundry list of social issues to be addressed. And yet, proverbially speaking, the nature of our task is not one of laundry, but of the heart. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. So perhaps the question we should be asking is, for whom And for what is your heart breaking open this Lent? For whom and for what has your heart already been broken open? And maybe we could start there. In the end, none of us will get Lent just right. We relish in the novel attention of being seen with our disfigured faces. We will or 
will not give up our chocolates and cocktails and road rage and bike to work and start recycling with our own tangled web of interior, ulterior motives, self-righteousness, apathy, childhood obligations, and adult rebellions. A Baptist friend of mine says he already gave up too much pleasures in his youth to punish himself any further now. (laughs) So we will give in to the ice cream and forget to say our prayers. We will fail this Lent. But maybe in a way, that's exactly the point. Theologian Nadia Boltz-Weber writes, There is actually great hope in Ash Wednesday. A great hope in admitting my mortality and my brokenness because then I finally lay aside my sin management program long enough to allow God to be God for me. Which is all any of us really need when it comes down to it. Fellow sinners, the good news tonight is liberating and terrifying. You are not anonymous to God. God knows your secrets. God knows your stuff. All the hidden crevices of your heart that you hide even from yourself. All the dirt and debris you carry around from the weariness of living in this world. God knows you already. God really, really knows you. And God loves you still. God loves you despite the fact that you are a dusty sinner. God loves you because you are a dusty sinner. Because God hates nothing God has made. May we lean into that promise tonight. And may we live that promise in our lives. I leave you with an Ash Wednesday blessing by Jan Richardson. To receive this blessing, all you have to do is let your heart break. Let it crack open, let it fall apart. So that you can see in its secret chambers the hidden spaces where you have hesitated to go. Your entire life is here. Inscribed whole upon your heart's walls, every path taken or left behind. Every face you turn toward or turned away. Every word spoken in love or in rage, every line of your life you would prefer to leave in shadow, every story that shimmers with treasures known and those you have yet to find. It could take you days to wander these rooms, 40 at least. And so let this be a season for wondering, for trusting the breaking, for tracing the rupture that will return you to the one who waits, who watches, who works within the rending to make your heart whole.